Hello, quirky people. <laughs> Tonight we'll be discussing the Canaanites and who were they, where did they come from, and were they really that bad? What lasting effects have they had to this day? What will all this lead to? Stick around to find out as Jess and I tackle this subject and more tonight on Quirks of Creation. Everybody and welcome back to Quirks of Creation. I'm Jess Holmes, and joining me, as always, is Elise. Hey, Elise. Hello. I unmuted myself this time. Yay! <laughs> Yay! I'm so proud of you. We're trying out the cold open. I thought you did amazing for our first try. I think I sounded better the second time. See, hey, you just you go. just needed some practice first go around. You're fine now, and it's awesome. Look at us go. Here we go. I love it. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here with everybody tonight. Uh, we will be doing some review reads at the end of the show. So if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts, be sure to stick around to hear your review read live on air and hear your name called out on the show. Very special night. Hey, and always so appreciated. So, so appreciated. I'm yeah. excited to read those. It's so great. Your your likes, your reviews, all of that really means the world to us. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for everyone being here live tonight. And I am excited for tonight's absolutely quacky show. Yes. It's going to be great. Tonight's going to be fun. So I am a bit all over because there's a lot to tackle here. But it's another one of those that's going to lead to more stuff, especially our episode next week. But we'll talk about that later. Are you ready to jump in? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. So what we're talking about, like I said, the Canaanites. And I'm going to just kind of start off a little refresher-ish kind of, I don't know, for me, it was more than a refresher. I was like, oh, there's some things here I didn't, I didn't know. Right. Basically, um, let's start with where they came from. So the Canaanites came from Noah, who doesn't, I guess. <laughs> So that blows, like, I probably knew it, but I guess I forgot it because wasn't the whole point of God flooding the earth was to start mankind over? Right. Yes. And, and we'll see tonight and we'll see, um, we'll see the fact that it did start over, but not all of it that he was trying to get rid of was gone. And, Mm -hmm. A lot of that is thanks to Ham. So one of Noah's way to go, Ham. Sons. Thanks a lot, Ham. <laughs> cool dude. <laughs> that's that's what Noah gets for naming his son after like a Thanksgiving pork. dinner meal. Yeah, yeah, pork. Yeah. yeah, pork. They weren't allowed to eat pork, and his right. name is Ham. Stop. I just made that connection. That's hilarious. Oh my gosh. He was doomed from the start. Just was. <laughs> so the story is um, found in Genesis 9, and Canaan was the grandson of Noah, Ham's son. So it goes like this, kind of, a little dramatic flair, because why not? But after the flood, we see that Noah is a good farmer, and he planted a vineyard, and 
after his vineyard was productive, he had a little solo wine party in his tent. Nice. <laughs> and his son Ham found him in his tent naked and called over to his brothers like, dude, dad's naked in here. Come check this out. <laughs> like, okay. First of all, ew. What is wrong right. with you? Right. Why do you, why, <laughs> just why? 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 And the patriarch and seeing him nude, like that was a huge shameful thing. Yeah. Like you don't, you don't call your dad out on that. You, you don't make a big deal of it. And you also don't want to be the one who saw it either. But he didn't only like not, you know, he didn't only see it, but he was like, dudes, come check this out. And so <laughs> his brothers come over. And so it's Shem and Japheth, and they grab a garment, walk into Noah's tent backwards, and cover him up while they, like, avert their eyes. So they're very respect- respectful, very discreet, and cover him up. And then um, Noah, when he wakes up, I'm assuming pretty hungover. Cause- yeah. <laughs> I just like how Ham – was Ham the eldest? I don't think so. Okay. I think he was. he was the youngest. Okay. Now <laughs> it all makes sense. Those little brothers being like, ha ha, dad got drunk, fell asleep naked. Yeah. <laughs> Check it out. And the older kids are like, oh, come on. No, dude. No. <laughs> so Noah wakes up, probably not feeling too great. And of course, he's super angry. And he, instead of cursing Ham, though, he curses Ham's son, Canaan. So Genesis 19, 24 through 27. When Noah woke up from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Curse be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. And he also said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be, sla- be the slave of Shem. Mm. May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. Why? That seems kind of harsh. Oh, big, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just a little bit. Just a tad. And these curses have weight to them. Oh, yeah. You know, you see that through the Bible. You see that here with Noah. You see it with um, Jacob and Esau. You see these things. They all have the curses and the blessings. They all have weight to them. And this was like, I think he was upset. (laughs) I think he's a little perturbed. So... Why Canaan? I don't I don't know. Like I read that maybe Canaan was just as bad or worse than his dad and Noah called him out on it, but really I don't know. But I do know that Ham's sons didn't lead to great things. So Ham had four sons and their offspring were responsible for building founding, you know, like Babel, Nineveh, and Sodom and Gomorrah and of course the Canaanites. Oh, that's a solid track record. Yeah, so like his seed and them, not maybe not the best. Yeah, maybe just not good stuff. It's interesting to me that God cursed his son, and I wonder if that's kind of um a projection into what will be going on with Abraham, because the lines and genealogies are just so incredibly important. So it's almost worse for your offspring to be cursed rather than you yourself. Yeah. 
And it's a generational curse too. Right. You know, so it's not just him. It's like him and all of his offspring are doomed. So it's like, I, I guess to say that to see your dad naked was shameful might be an understatement. So Nanasi brings up something interesting that there's a liberal interpretation that the uncovering of Noah's nakedness was a gay interlude or. I read that too. So yeah. there are people who say the interpretation was that Ham did more than just see his dad naked. Yikes. Yeah. Now see, to me, it's like you saw him and you were kind of obnoxious. Like, right. right. I make him sound like a frat boy, but right. But <laughs> if you're yikes. Then I yes. kind of understand the curse a little bit more. Right. And I do think that does help to explain the severity of yeah. all of it. And you'll see, I guess, I didn't go down this rabbit hole too much because there was a lot here. And I sure. want to delve into that more myself personally. But with that, if that was the case, it does make sense in what you see with the Canaanites later. And, like, the culture that they have, the religion, and kind of the – some of the awful, horrific things that they do. Right. It definitely perpetuates itself. And it would also explain why God cursed Canaan and not just Ham, because that is an ideology he is passing on right. to Canaan. Yes. There was also some uh, somewhere it said it could have been also that Ham took advantage of um, Noah's wife even, and that's where Canaan came from. Was oh. that? I don't know. I don't know the legitimacy of that sure. at all. But I'm just saying that's another theory that's been yeah. thrown out there. There's a lot of um, that would explain it even more, though. Yeah, there's a lot of ideas. Yeah. And I'm not saying that they're true, but I'm also not saying they're untrue. I don't know. They might, maybe, maybe. Because I feel like you see that a lot in the Bible. I'm going to go off on a yeah. tangent here. You see that in the Bible where it's like, oh, dude, you way overreacted. But it also makes you think there's got to be more to this than what, right. we're, than what we're getting. And maybe that's, that's one maybe of those that's okay. things that it's like missing in translation because yeah. you've gone from what Hebrew, Aramaic to Greek to English or to Latin to English, you know. So there's plenty to have been lost in translation. But then there's just like cultural differences that yes. we can't necessarily relate to, like the language, like of course the language piece, but the culture, language, yeah. marriage piece yeah. there that we just miss out on. Absolutely. And I, I'll bring this up again in a minute because it's funny that you said that because we'll definitely see that in one of the arguments I've, I'm bringing up later. So one of the rabbit holes I did go down a little bit because we'll be talking about this again later. Um, Ethiopians. <laughs> the Ethiopians. They kind of keep popping up randomly. I don't yeah. know. But I will say that they claim that several of Canaan's sons and at least two tribes of Canaan, not the seven we'll mention, but um, I think the Sinites and the Zemurites came into Ethiopia and became different tribes in Ethiopia. Mm. 
they make a lot of claims and connections to the Old Testament. Like, you know, they claim to have the true Ark of the Covenant. One of their stories is that King Solomon slept with one of their queens and their son inherited the Ark. Another claim they have is a story of um, a group of Jews living on an island in the middle of the Nile, and they brought the Ark to Ethiopia. Uh, I mean, Ethiopia is a largely Christian country. Right. But their practices are more similar to the Old Testament than the New Testament. Again, another like little tangent here. But we're going to be talking about this soon, too, so I just want to bring that up. Like, they claim this, too. Remember talking? This is, like, on our to-do list. Random little tidbits to, like, throw out there and reel you in. We'll be going down that rabbit hole one time. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So, Canaan is cursed to be the lowest of slaves to his uncles and their offspring, and that's where all this starts. Before I get into like the geography and the culture and where they, you know, geography, where they settled and the impact that they've made, I want to point out one connection to Jesus actually with the Canaanites. Yeah. Okay. Go figure. I know. Uh, We'll see in just a bit that the Canaanite religion really is a perversion of what Judeo-Christians believe. And I think it's important to point out Jesus's lineage. So Matthew makes a big deal about Jesus's heritage. And unconventionally in Matthew chapter one, he mentions women in the list of his genealogy. Right. We were just saying how important genealogy is and what a big deal that makes. So the fact that he talks about these five women, I think, is a big deal. So the first one is Tamar. I don't know if you remember the story of Tamar, but many scholars believed that she was of Canaanite origin and she was widowed twice by Judah's sons. So Judah had three sons. Mm-hmm. First one she married died. The second one she married died. And so Judah hesitantly uh, kind of kept his third son away, even though she was promised that. Right. Uh, so she took matters into her own hands and she pretended to be a prostitute and took advantage of judah after his wife died remember that yeah that story yikes there's another cultural thing we don't really (laughs) comprehend that's not a cultural thing because prostitution is still like around today that's true but but it's more like her reasoning for doing that because later judah says um you're more righteous than me i'll acknowledge this son i was in the wrong you were in the right i mean i wonder if the reason he does that though is because he knows he he essentially took advantage of her she was a prostitute right right and so there's a moral quandary there. She yeah. should not have been prostituting herself. But at the same time, Judah shouldn't have been out at the red light district <laughs> going, hey, you know. <laughs> What's up? Exactly. So once he acknowledges that son, that gives us Perez. Um, then after that. So again, possibly, most likely a Canaanite woman. Perez is in the 
line, Jesus's lineage. So then there's Rahab, who is definitely a Canaanite. And she's the one who hides the spies sent into Jericho. And she later marries the great, 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 great grandson of Judah, or one less great, and it's the grandson of Perez. Mm. <clears throat> and then they have Boaz. Uh, Ruth, who is a Moabite, also a people cursed by God, and they were descendants of Moab, who was the son of Lot and his eldest daughter. Lots of, oh, lots of, yeah, that's uh, lots of good stuff. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. <laughs> so often you'll see in the Bible, God prohibits the Israelites having any relations with the Canaanites, mm-hmm. but just to notice, like. These, like a Canaanite here, a Moabite here. Yep. That just a reminder that humans aren't perfect. Yeah. I think the primary function of the genealogy is to show both the connection between David and Jesus and Adam and Jesus, right? Yep. Because Jesus is supposed to be the new Adam. But I do find it interesting to see, even in that line that is supposed to be holy and revered, you still see brokenness. Yeah. And that's just like part of the human condition is that we're all sinful and broken. Yes. Yes. And I, I do have a point on that too. So I'm glad you said that because I will, I will get there. Rahab was definitely more of a prostitute than Tamar, by the way. Thank you, Nana C, for pointing that out. <laughs> Tamar was like a one-time thing. <laughs> right. Rahab, yikes. Not so much. Not so much. Mama had a history. So... <laughs> Uh, so Ruth, the Moabite, who was faithful to her former mother-in-law, I guess you would put it, Naomi, you know, she was yeah. widowed. Um, she marries Boaz and they have Obed, who was the grandfather of King David. Right. And then King David. So thanks to David, the next in line is Bathsheba. So she's not specifically named in Matthew chapter one. It just says Uriah's wife, but we all know. We all know it's Bathsheba. We all know who David that is. Had Uriah killed. Yeah. Man after God's own heart. Kills dudes what <laughs> kills dude to sleep with his wife. Yeah. Yeah. Not not his best moment. Not his <laughs> best moment. And that again, that just goes to show you yeah. despite your worst moments, despite your David killing Uriah moments. Exactly. God still loves you. God still loves you. He's still going to use you. Ugh. But yeah, so we all know that's Bathsheba. And their story is one for like very dramatic soap opera. It's ugly. It's not flattering. That's a Sopranos episode. <laughs> that's a Sopranos. That's, that's much more accurate. <laughs> um, but Bathsheba's husband was a Hittite, which is also a Canaanite. Right. But he was a convert and he was, you know, considered a mighty man of valor and righteous. And Bathsheba herself would have at least been a Hittite by marriage, if not already, because they um, before she was married. So more Canaanites kind of sprinkled in there. Um, but after David repents and his marriage, marriage, excuse me, to Bathsheba is legit. God blesses them with Solomon. And I said that Matthew had mentioned five women. The fifth one is Mary. I'm not saying that she's anything but what she says she is. Okay, I was about to be <laughs> no. like, don't, don't make the Catholics mad. They will no. come for us. No, I'm not touching that. I'm not touching that. Mary is Mary. We all know who she is. I, I do. Have Matthew a quick, just mentions her. 
Good job, Matthew. <laughs> I have a quick question. Yeah. And and maybe you know, maybe you don't. I don't. I don't. What not. is the difference between a Canaanite and a Hittite? <clears throat> yes. So good question. So the Canaanites were like the whole. And then um, I'm actually going to get these pulled up because I didn't write them down. Oh, that's okay. I was just curious because I'm like all the all the ites and I got like you know stalactite and stalagmite. <laughs> I got that one down because you hold right. on tight, but I don't got the Canaanites Ooh, like and Hittites. Right. So the Canaanites, they like I said, as a group as a whole, there were seven nations within that. So there were the Amorites, Girgashites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and the Perizzites. So, oh, I guess parasites connects to Paris's line, right? Yeah. Okay. So, yes, they're the same, but they're also their own little tribes mm. within that. So, like, we have the 12 tribes of, of Israel, the seven nations of Canaan. It's kind of right. the same. Like so, the yeah. Levites and the Benjaminites. And, okay. Exactly. Got it. All the ites. All the ites. I like what Nana C says. It's the difference in degrees of itness. <laughs> like That's that what it too. feels like. Yeah, pretty much. That's a good way to put it. Um, there is a point to bringing up Jesus's lineage, and I'm going to get to that soon. So just Pinning hang it. tight. Pinning it. There's a point. So the Canaanites settled as a nomadic tribe um, at first, so, you know, mo- mostly hunter-gatherer society. Eventually, they evolved into city-states that became wealthy and prosperous, um, mostly because of their trade. So the area of the Promised Land or the land of Canaan was situated in the middle of North Africa, Asia, and Europe. Okay. So it is this perfect center spot at that time, like a land bridge between all three of these major areas. They Mm. developed huge trade routes. They were also seafaring people. Um, They were teaching people how to build boats. They were mathematicians. They like all these amazing things. I know. Like you kind of think of the Canaanites as like these like small little tribes of whatever. Right. But they actually were like the city states. <clears throat> that <throat> makes sense because weren't the Canaanites in Jericho? Mm-hmm. And uh, Joshua, you know, and everybody marched around Jericho and yep. took it over. That was a major city. Like that was that was essential yes. to them coming into the promised land. Ooh. Yeah. I never thought of it like that. I know. I always just assume, you know, eh, whatever, they're this little. But no, I think it's important to keep in mind that these people were huge. <laughs> yeah. They, because of their trade and being so good with say, um, sailing, this created like an empire of sorts. So it was very similar mm-hmm. to Greece and their city-states like, mm, in that they might they weren't really united at that time, sure, or ever. Really, it's not like an empire, not no. like the Roman Empire who was going exactly. out and killing everybody. But okay, dominating the world, right? Right, not quite, but still bigger than we. I think we first 
think. So they, since they were so like wealthy and prosperous, they had large and well-protected walls to defend against invaders because it's also important to remember that in this area, although it's centralized and they're close to everything, um, the only area really that can't, they didn't really have any defense. Like right. there was no real good you, you way. You had the walls of Jericho, but other than that, it's like yeah. mountains. And all of that, like, so not only could you go to, like, Asia and towards Europe or down to Africa, but they could come mm. at you. So, Yes, they could. Yes, they could. And that was a huge problem in this area for them and also for the Israelites. But, again, being prosperous and all that stuff, they had these well-built walls to protect them. And they could also hire other nations to come and fight for them. So when the Israelites came up against them, not a small tribal society, but a well-established, they had a well-established culture in the land and a, they were just a strong, formidable, warlike society at that time. So it was a big deal. <laughs> they were yeah. more of a big deal than we give them credit for maybe. Yeah, because like you get that feeling in Sunday school and maybe yeah. this is the important part of going to Sunday school and doing uh, Bible studies as an adult, as opposed to just like when you're young and brought up in the church, because you get this idea that these are all like nomadic tribes wandering the desert. Mm -hmm. And maybe you see Canaanite camp down in the Valley and it's like charged Ah! with our our pointy sticks, Uh, but that's not actually how it was. Exactly. Yeah. I think if you, I had a pastor describe it like if you are a Christian who's still going off of the Sunday school stuff, it's like drinking milk from a bottle or formula. Mm. And as we progress, we need to get more meat meat and carbs. That's my favorite. But <laughs> to me, carbs is like Psalms. Like I love Psalms. I'll, I'll eat that stuff up all day, all day long. But, you know, you need some protein, you need to get into the archaeology, you need, and this is why we're doing what we're doing, because it's so hard to go out and find out stuff about the archaeology and like the actual surrounding histories. It's hard to find stuff that is reliable. And so we do the digging for you. We'll do it for you. And uh, what's also kind of cool is we're, well, me, at least, uh, learning alongside you, like some of these things. You know, I have an idea, but the more I dig into it, I'm like, oh, I didn't, I didn't see that. I didn't see that or that. So it's a lot of fun. And I think that's also why we get so yeah. geeked about it. So <laughs> I don't know. Um, I go back. I'll find my spot. I was like, where was I? I don't know. One of the big things here was Egypt. So Egypt was like the main nation the Canaanites would trade with. And it was also the nation that will hold the most dominance over the Canaanites. And of course, Egypt plays a huge role with the Israelites as well once they enter the promised land and take that back from the Canaanites. But with the Canaanites, they were influenced by all of these people and they also influenced these others too. So, for example, when they buried their dead, when the Canaanites would bury their dead, the elite of the people would be in tombs with great grave goods. And we see this similar practice with Egypt. Right. 
Um, another, they would bury their infants in the floor of their homes, which was a Mesopotamian practice, and so on and so forth. Like they had a speckling of everything kind of in their culture and their thing. But they also did that to other people as well. So they, like one of the impacts for us today is the alphabet. Right. So our alphabet comes mostly from the Romans who got it from the Greeks. And the Greeks received what the Canaanites had already have and kind of evolved that. Wow. We touched on this though on our episode about the curse tablet and the alphabet. So most liberal scholars are like, oh no, the Israelites, Moses couldn't have written the Bible. The Israelites didn't know. They were illiterate. Moses definitely was illiterate, which makes no sense, but that's like the biggest belief there. With the curse tablet that we talked about, the dating of that and uh, just the implications from that show that one, Moses did. Uh, he was able to read and write. A connection that's made there is that it's possible that Moses took the hieroglyphics from Egypt that he had learned, and the Israelites created this um, phonetic alphabet. And they also, so they were connected to the Egyptians and also the Canaanites. And that's what made the Canaanites and the Israelites not only um, their alphabet, but also their religion. their religion so similar. So these things are very um, intertwined. That makes sense. Some people want to give credit to the Canaanites for our alphabet. I'm also interested in that because you mentioned the burial practices of the Canaanites. And so if we think back to the history of the Canaanites, right? Canaan Mm -hmm. is the son of Ham, who is the son of Noah. Yes. And the, the whole line of Israel hasn't even been to Egypt yet. Right. We don't get that until Joseph's line. Yes. So is it possible that the Canaanites introduced those burial practices to the Egyptians? I think it is possible. I'm not saying that's fact, but it's interesting. No, but it is interesting because again, Egypt, Canaan, The Israelites, they all have this very intertwined history. Yeah. And so, who influenced who? Eh, I don't know. But again, they they definitely had an impact on each other in a lot of ways. Um, The biggest thing to point out is that the Canaanites also influenced the world and their worship of gods and goddesses. Yikes. Which is, yikes. So their religion was polytheistic. Uh, The general story here that I'll share is they believed El was the chief god and he was the patriarchal head of the family. And the Canaanites were the mortal children of El, They believed that they could themselves become gods. Mm. Not like we've never heard that ever anywhere before. Mm -mm. That started a long time ago. (laughs) That's nothing new. That doesn't sound like Mormonism at all. No. Or Scientology or Or, any of that stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely not. No. 
but El was the god of the sky, and his partner was Ashra, the mother of 70 gods. She was also known as the Lady of the Sea. Um, eventually, the right to rule the family was passed from El to Yam, who was a tyrant. Yam, Ham. Oh, man. They tried hard on that one. I didn't even (laughs) make that connection either, but yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Mm Mm-hmm. A little more creative, guys. (laughs) But Yam was a tyrant, and Asher was getting ready to kind of sacrifice herself as a way to appease him so he wouldn't be such a tyrant. I don't know the logic there. Just a That's just a that thing. pagan logic. Yeah. If I kill something or, you know, myself, it'll bad get things better. won't happen. It'll get better. That's the answer. Yes. That's a Gnostic religion. Yes. Um, but before she could do that, Baal, who was an- the other son of another son of El, challenged Yam and won. Then Mott, who is the god of the underworld, lures Baal to his death and brings about infertility and drought because Baal was like the god of rain and fertility. All these things that um, the Canaanites really cherished, especially in their region because they didn't have the fertile crescent. They didn't have large bodies of water, like rivers, like the Egyptians had. It was really hard living Hmm. in most of that area for them. Not so. at first, right, until they built up their big kingdoms or yeah. whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, eventually it got better for him. But anyway. Interesting. So, Mott lures Baal to his death and brings about infertility and drought. And then the goddess of war, Anat, who is Baal's sister, takes vengeance on Mott and kills him. But they both come back to life because they're gods and why not? And okay, that's what I was going to ask them. Like, how can you worship this thing that is dead? Question mark? Right. Question mark? No. No, no. Surprise! They both come back. Magic. And, yeah. <laughs> Magic. Uh, they, um, but the war between them kind of continues. So they're both back. And the way that the Canaanites looked at it was like, if we were having a really good year with rain and, and babies were happening, then um, Baal was in charge. Like he'd won the battle. If there was drought, if there was infertility, it was Mott's fault. Oh, he won. And so it went back and forth. And so they would do um, a lot more worship of Baal and sacrifices to him to keep him happy. So there are more details, obviously. This is just a very generalized story of this. And more can be found in, like, the cycle of Baal. And, excuse me, there's a ton, of course. But there are some similarities I found that I wanted to point out. So El is their main god. And the Israelites had Elohim. They, they're so good at coming out with names, guys. Yeah. El, Elohim, Ham, Yam. Yes. So good, guys. But of course, the Israelites stole this from the Canaanites. Remember, that's oh, that's right, how it, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Definitely not the other way around. Definitely not. Um, Asherah was said to have command of the elements and could walk on water. And then. 
Baal had sacrificed himself and rose three days later. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. So I point these out for a reason because it sounds familiar, right? Yeah, just a yeah. tiny bit. Just a tad. Just a tad. And this was written before the New Testament. But my point in this is we see with Jesus that his lineage had Canaanite blood in it. Mm. And we see that he also walked on water and he did raise, rise from the dead, excuse me, three days later. Right. I think what this is, not just this, but I think something that God does, again, this like cheeky thing where he's like, I've thought of everything. (laughs) I've thought of everything. (laughs) He did think of everything because, you know, he made everything. Yeah. So I, um, Jesus does these things and he does have that Canaanite blood. And just like how Satan will take the Trinity, for example, and make a mockery of the Trinity, or he'll take Mm. symbols from Christianity or from Judaism, and he'll turn these things into, like I said, mockeries of our religion. I think Jesus kind of did the same, not as a mockery, but as like a proof of like, no, no, y'all, the one true God is doing these things. So the Canaanites, who were still around in Jesus's time, not necessarily known as the Canaanites then, but they were still, they were not annihilated. Let's just, but he comes back and he's like, no, I can walk on water. I am the son of man. I am God, the son of God. I walk on water. I am rising from the dead three days later. I think it's kind of, you know, he fulfills these 300, 300 plus prophecies from the Old Testament. I don't know that this is all true. I just think like, I could see how it's like, y'all know this. You all, you know, in that time. Right. Might have known this, or at least let me show you what it really is. It might be a stretch. The three-day illusion is used a lot throughout the Bible. It takes, I, I mean, the, th- the number three is holy yes. and important in Christianity yes. and um, Judaism. So, it, I don't think it's surprising to think that the Canaanites kind of co-opted some yes. of those ideas and those symbols as well. That's typically what Gnostic religions do. They take things in Christianity and flip them on its head because, yep. and I'm sure you'll get to how they worshipped Baal and stuff, but it's yeah. the total inversion of what God asks of us instead of sa- sacrificing our children children to a carven image we are told not to make carven images and god sacrificed his son for us so you know it's it's always the gnostics turning the god's perfect plan perfectly on its head exactly yeah and so yeah we will get into that so um it was well known as you had said that they would sacrifice their children to Baal to bring in fertility and the crops. It was also like gender fluidity and that type of worship was well known, especially in the temple of Ashra and among her priests. Um, temple prostitutes as well were used as a form of worship. And mm. the children of that union were either used as a sacrifice or dedicated to the temple as priests for later 
and it also helped worshipers gain favor with the priests to come in and sleep with the prostitutes of the temple. I won't go into too much detail because you can get graphic with these things, and I don't think we need to. You get the gist of it. This this was all disgusting and awful right? and not of God at all. It's not, but I think it's important to talk about because we're yes. seeing this similar picture come up in our culture. Like you just mentioned gender fluidity. That's not something I would have thought of as being an ancient practice, yes. but that shows you just how ancient and deeply evil this sin is, this spirit of thinking, oh, I can change my body to match how I feel inside so I can satisfy this what demonic being that's following me around, whatever right. it is. The spirit of Asherah that is this, still and you around today. TikToks of women give, giving up their abortions to Asherah or Moloch or whatever yep. the pagan god they're worshiping. They, I've seen articles of where they ask these pagan priests to come into Planned Parenthood with them. <sighs> so this is not new, folks. It's very old and very ancient and very wicked. And so it's important to know that these things have roots, yes. deep roots. Yes. Like this didn't just go away. Yeah. You know, it's not like, oh, that's Old Testament stuff and it kind of fizzled out or whatever. No, I think that's these things. Yeah. It, it, I, so with the Canaanites and their connection to everything, you can see how they also influenced Greek mythology because. Mm. L would be like Kronos. Yeah. And um, Baal maybe being more like Zeus, Asherah. I don't know. But there's always the male and female yeah. pairing. Yes. In both Greek mythology, Roman mythology, and it seems like in, in this Canaanite well. religion. So these Gnostic things, I mean, Abby from Conspiracy Pill talks about this all the time. Mm -hmm. They're all connected. Yeah. And it makes sense when you think about them all stemming from the root of the Canaanites. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's a good point to mention. So we're talking more about the history of these things. But if you want more on like Baal, Asherah, the gods and goddesses of ancient times to now and how they're still present right. and relevant, like Conspiracy Pilled, our sister show. Our brother's sister show? <laughs> the other show on Hakan Media. <laughs> they definitely deep dive into this. Um, and I don't even want to say so much conspiracy as much as it is. They just make the connections. Right. Very well. So we're definitely talking about it here. But if you want more, they've got more. There's more. Right. <laughs> There's more to add. And yeah. if you like our show, which you should since you're listening, since you're make here. sure you hit that like button. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. If you're listening to this on audio, make sure you give us a five-star review so we will read it on the show. And, you know, since I'm plugging everything shamelessly, don't forget to go over to Conspiracy Pills, like their stuff too, because we do cover a lot of similar stuff, but from different perspectives, mm -hmm. like we're doing right now. Like this. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> nice job. I like what Base Babe says. It's not conspiracy. It's evidentiary. 
Yes. That's what it is. That is what it is. And so we're just touching on that too and their connection. So that's one of the arguments I want to make is like the Canaanites and their evil practices have unfortunately not fizzled out. They've stuck with us. And they, despite God's best efforts to get rid of them. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that for a second because that was my next step. I think a lot of people read the, you know, like Deuteronomy and read the commandments that God gave the Israelites to destroy all these people, this genocide. And they're just appalled. Like, how can you have this God in the Old Testament preach about, talk about love and and grace and mercy and all of these things and yet also command his people to kill everything that breathes in this area right i've got some theories i don't think i have any answers that's okay but let's well, we don't have the answers we have ideas I, yeah yeah so god's command to destroy the canaanites is repeated in the Old Testament. It's not a one-time deal, and it doesn't leave much room for interpretation. I just want to read some verses to make this very clear. So I'm going to rapid fire these as best I can. Deuteronomy 2014 through 16. As for the women, the children, the livestock, and everything else in the city, you may take these as plunder for yourselves, and we may use the plunder the Lord your God gives you from your enemies. This is how you are to treat how you are to treat all the cities that are at a distance from you and do not belong to the nations nearby. However, in the cities of the nations, the Lord your God is giving you as inheritance. Do not leave anything alive that breathes. I'm going to continue. That's then, so intense. <laughs> it is intense. He's like, everybody else, you know what? It's okay. It's okay. Just women, children, livestock, leave them be. Use it as plunder. However... <laughs> But hold on, there's more. So Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 6, when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their sons, nor take their daughter for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me Mm. to serve other gods, so the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars and break down their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples of the earth. Intense enough? Hold on, there's more. (laughs) But wait, there's more. (laughs) Exodus 23, 22 through 24. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And I will cut them off. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do anything according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. There's also more in Deuteronomy and Exodus. Again, I think you get the point. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations you shall dispose it, 
dispossessed served their gods on the high mountains and the hills and under every green tree. And you shall destroy their altars and break their sacred pillars and burn their wooden images. So on and so forth. Like everything. Get rid of it. Just, just, just utterly destroy it. Salt the earth and like. Be done. Be done. That, that is such an extreme position. And I always struggled with that. Yep. When I was younger, it's like, how, how could a loving God, how could a God who would send his own son to die for us, ask his people to commit such slaughter? Right. But that should tell you something. But that's the, that's the flip side of this. So I think on a surface level, it's like, oh, this doesn't add up. Two and two, you know, it's not making four here. Um, Jesus preaches Love your neighbors yourself. And then you have the God of the Old Testament saying, like, slaughter them. But I do think that that speaks more to how bad they were. So Deuteronomy 9, 3 through 5. Therefore, understand today that the Lord your God is who he goes over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring them down before you. So you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly as the Lord has said to you. Do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you saying, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out from before you, that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That puts it in such perspective. Yeah. I think so, too. Because it's like, you guys don't deserve this. (laughs) Yes, you're my chosen people, and yes, I promised you this. But it's more so that they are so wicked. I want them out. (laughs) That... I can't convey the severity of this enough, just how evil their practices must have been for God to drive them out so totally. Because when else in history has God commanded the Israelites to do such a thing? No, and, and again, he specifically is like, you are only doing this in this area. Yep. Everything else, yeah, you can take that as plunder. You can do whatever. And there was there was a story. I don't have it pulled up, so bear with me. But there was the story of somebody who took, I can't remember his name, gold and, and cloth. And he did take plunder from one of these areas. And Joshua pretty much pulled him out. <laughs> they stoned him and then burned him alive, or burned him and his whole family. Because they had taken plunder from one of these areas where God was like, no, you get rid of it. None of it. I'm looking it up. Yeah. Thank you. I I was like one of those I heard and I was like, oh yeah, come back to that. And then I a con. And then I didn't. I think so. So Joshua seven, the Lord had said that everything in Jericho belonged to him, but Akan from the Judah tribe took some things from Jericho for himself. And sorry, this is the contemporary English version. Um and so the Lord was angry with the Israelites because one of them had dis- I don't like this version. But, 
I That's know, what it automatically pulled up. Okay. I'm going to find an ESV version because I'm like, this is too, like, too common. Okay. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to devoted things. For Akan, the son of Kamari, son of Zabadee, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. So he didn't just take, yeah. like, just some Plunder. treasure or whatever. He took idols. Mm-hmm. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent the men of Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the man went, The men went and spied out. Let me see if I can get to the part you're talking about. His punishment. His punishment. Yeah. I Thanks mean, for looking it up. Yeah, no problem. Keep talking while I look. Yes. So I think it's easy to see here that God was pretty serious. Yeah. I'm just going to throw that out there. I don't think he's messing around. I did read an article that was saying, because a lot of people try to justify this, and I understand that because it's like we're saying, this is difficult to reconcile, if you will, especially on a surface level when you don't dig into it more. But an article I was reading, it was Detroit. <laughs> um, DetroitCatholic.com, I think, is where it came mm. from. I want to read actually, like a short little, and then Do I'll it. stop reading. I swear. But, we like reading here. I mean, I love you to can read. Tell. <laughs> yeah. Um. Why would God allow? No. Okay. Here it is. So it says, if one compares the language used in Joshua and Judges with the conquest writings of other ancient cultures, such as the Egyptians, the Hittites, the Akkadians, the Moabites, etc. You'll find there are a lot of similarities. The recorded battles and reports of conquest by these nations often give exaggerated hyperbolic accounts about how their enemies were completely wiped out, utterly destroyed without any survivors, much like in scripture. In fact, it appears that this was once a popular stylized form of war rhetoric that was used in the ancient Near East. When we read it, it sounds like the Israelites were commanded to totally annihilate these people when it simply was commanded of them to fight and win, even if the win was only temporary. To me, it's a fluffy argument that just tries to, oh, he didn't mean it. I mean, he clearly did because he, he said, you, you, everybody else, yeah, you fight them, but then you can like take care of their women and take their yeah. treasure and whatever. But right. these guys in particular, yeah, you need to get rid of them. <laughs> right, right. So it's like, nice try. I can appreciate you trying to like, I don't know, soften the blow maybe, <laughs> I, but not really. At the right. Same time. I actually find that super frustrating because yes. so often in the modern church, you yes. see this softening yes. of the harshness. You see the loss of the fire and brimstone talks in the pulpit. You see the loss of the severity of sin. It's like, oh, well, Jesus loves everybody. It doesn't matter what you're doing in your private life. It doesn't matter if you're going out and sinning Monday through Saturday. Just come here and feel loved. Just love, 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 love. And it's like, yes, Jesus is love. God is a God of love, but he is also a God of justice. Righteous anger. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, mm -mm, mm -mm. It is not loving to tolerate a people that murder their own children and sacrifice them to 
demonic beings. Right. Exactly. So it is a it is a frustrating article and it was like you know, I understand that it's a terrible deed and God is putting it on the Israelites, but you don't get to just brush it off like okay, but he didn't mean it. Again, that just makes me upset. He didn't mean it. Right. I think the thing here is you have this terrible deed and I think he knows that he's putting that on the Israelites. But if if it's so dra- drastic and so dramatic, what does that say about, again, the Canaanite people? Right. Just talking in circles. But it's this same idea. Did you find that? I did. So okay. uh, it, Joshua 27, or I'm so dyslexic. Joshua 7, starting in 25. And Joshua said, speaking to Akan, uh, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today and all the Israel... All Israel stoned him with stones. They burned him with fire and stoned them with stones. They raised him a great heap of stones that remain to this day. And the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to that day, this place is known as the Valley of Achor. It's, I mean, he he took an idol as if to keep it for himself. Like, what was he going to do with it? He can't trade it within his own nation. So it it has no monetary value to right. him. Uh, if well, they were at this point they were conquering, uh, they were conquering Jericho and they were trying to set up their own land. So it's not like he was going to travel out and trade it to someone else right. and try and <laughs> gather wealth that way. It would be very strange, just like culturally speaking, for him to leave his tribe behind. And go out and do like some sort of monetary transaction and then come back. So you have to think he wanted it to use it for its purpose as an idol. Right. You have to, you have to wonder what he was doing. And again, that was not tolerated. (laughs) So where I want to go from here is I also want to point out with this and the like, slaughtering of everybody is that God explicitly explicitly also said that this would be done gradually. So in Exodus 23, 29 through 30, I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possess the land. So in Judges, we see that after Joshua dies, the Israelites have some success in driving out the Canaanites. We also see like some failed or even abandoned military campaigns. And the Israelites grow tired of warfare and just decide to use the Canaanites as forced labor, live alongside them. And the result, of course, is that the Canaanites were still living among the Israelites. And God has consequences for that, too. So what we see, Judges 2, 3. Now, So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. Mm. Um, it's such a clear picture of how poisonous sin really is and how strong the temptation is to worship these other gods. Because it's not like... It's not tempting to worship them. They promise you everything. They promise you, 
you know, it's that whole health, wealth, whatever. Yeah. They yeah. promise you power. They yeah. promise you fertility, like you were saying. Yeah. I mean, all you got to do is give up this little thing. All you got to do yeah. is sacrifice your child. Yeah. But I mean, what do we do in modern day? People abort their own children so they can have their high paying job so they don't have to make sacrifices in their own life it's celebrated like right you know i because of my abortion i now have this and it's you know you now have what yeah it's like you traded a life for for a material good weird much like yeah. What was practiced in ancient times. You can so, dress it up any way you want. It's the exactly. same. It really is the same. And obviously we can see how attractive that is yeah. to people who are lost. Yeah. And I think it was attractive to the Israelites too. Yeah. In that this religion was a perversion of what they believed already. So it's not right. it wasn't this huge leap in some ways necessarily i mean in some ways yeah it was but um they don't think of it that way though right just like in modern christianity right you walk into a church that's hanging a pride flag for, in in front of the cross or something like that absolutely yeah. blasphemous but it's like oh it's it's not different we're just following what jesus said except you're not Except you're not. But. Yeah. And it's it's easy to fall for those things when you're looking for those excuses. So, like, in this instance with the Israelites, you know, you and us, too. Yeah. We have a God who does things in his own time. Right. We do not control God. Right. We, we are called to um, less of me, more of you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. lose ourselves to become more Christ-like or to become closer to God. We don't have control over him, but when you have these pagan gods and these rituals, like you have more control. Like, okay, if I do this uh, sacrifice or if I do this ritual just right, or if I, whatever, this God is going to do what I want them to do. You know what I mean? Or be more prone to do what I want them to do. Or you feel like you have more control which is also something very um, alluring. Yeah. And I think for them and for us today, that's a huge pull. Mm. And also uh, giving into these carnal pleasures, like I'll just talk about the Israelites for the, for the moment, but sure. you know, they were celebrating the prostitution and the, all these other things that, you know, feel good in the moment, and uh, sex these... work is real work. I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> so again, when you like give into those easy things that feel good in the moment, it's right. like, yeah, this is my religion, <laughs> and it can be you can be easily tempted and swayed, and you see that as a punishment, yeah. also for the Israelites. Like, you know, want to do what I said? Fine. These guys are gonna. These guys are going to come at you. And you see Israelites, you see the the Jewish people just constantly uh, being taken over. Yeah. You know? It's, it's that cycle repeated over and over. What is that saying? It's like strong or 
Hard yes. times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. And weak men create hard times. Hard times. You see that cycle repeated over <clears throat> and over for Israel, which yeah. is why... Uh, and, Remember, Israel is God's chosen people. Yes. Like, he specifically selected them to be his beloved people. From them would come the line of Jesus. Mm -hmm. But they still, even after Jesus himself came to earth, died on the cross for our sins, rose again on the third day, was present to the 500, like, all of that, they still couldn't get with it. And he was (laughs) like, you know what? I'm going to extend this invitation to everybody now. I'm going to adopt into my family everybody because y'all just can't get it. <laughs> We've done this song and dance for how long now? And <laughs> but you do see that. And uh, oh, I lost my point. Darn it. I hate when I do Sorry. that. No, it wasn't you. It's me. It's all me. You see that with the Israelites. You see that they... Um, do that often where they, oh, okay. So let's go back to just um, Joshua, Moses and Joshua. So Moses parts the Red Sea, they cross, they go in and they send the spies to take a look at um, the promised land. And they come back crying because these people look stronger and they, you know, we'll get into that part in a minute. But basically, they come back and they're like, no, they're too tough. The God who just did all of this for us <laughs> right. couldn't possibly wipe them out. And then I think Joshua and Caleb were the only two who were like, yes, we can. And they were the only two who got to see the promised land from that generation. Yep. And again, the cycle repeats where God's like, Look at all these things I did for you. Do you see all these miracles? You witnessed all these miracles and you don't think that I can do this? Okay. <laughs> Here's the Honestly, this is very convicting for me because like how short is our memory oh my gosh, that we forget true. the promises of God that we forget in our own lives, <laughs> how many wonderful things God has done for us. And it's just like, yeah. When I see the Israelites, I often see a picture of myself. I'm like, why am I like this? See, I have to stop myself because I'm just like, oh my gosh, come on. But it's, you know, it's all condensed. (laughs) And you read it like this. And I'm like, no, no, that's me. (laughs) That's me every day. (laughs) Basically. Yes. Yeah. So it's good to remember it's also great to see. I mean, yes, there are consequences. And yes, you see, unfortunately, you see them go through a whole lot of stuff because of their lack of faith sometimes or their um, the ways that they disobey. And yet, they're still the chosen people. God right. still loves them. God still loves us. And it's I not it's like good. when they live out their faith, when they actually follow God and actually do what they're supposed to do, God doesn't reward them for it because he obviously does. Yeah, yeah. So then you have um, the opposite. Like, yes, look at all these wonderful things I do for you. (laughs) Look how beautiful life is. (laughs) No matter what, God follows through on his promises. Like, after they went and started worshiping the same idols of the Canaanites, 
God could have just ditched them. He could have said, you know what? I've been burned one too many times by you. Right. I'm done. But he didn't. He never gave up on them. He still hasn't given up on us. No, exactly. Despite how our modern culture is looking a lot like the Canaanite culture once again. Once again. And it's not like the Canaanites themselves didn't have um, warnings of this either. Like not just the Israelites seeing the wrath of God, but I mean, the Canaanites saw it too. So Sodom and Gomorrah, right? They saw that. Like it was, it was all there. (laughs) And so it's not like God didn't give them warnings of, or signs of his wrath for what they were doing either. And Rahab even says to the spies, like, yeah, we knew you were coming and we heard how God delivered you to us. And we know you're going to take us over because your God was powerful enough to do that. We're, we're not going to make it. Right. (laughs) We, we know we're not going to make it. So they too had a warning, even though they weren't necessarily God's chosen people. I mean, they came from Ham's line, but. Right. He even was generous enough, I think, to give them a warning. Like, you see, you see the consequences. You're gonna keep this up. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. I think it's also important to remember that the beings that the Canaanites worshipped weren't just like empty graven images. Right. Right. It's like yes, they were graven images, but it's a symbol, and symbols represent things. Yes. And those things were part of the spiritual world that we don't often talk about. Yeah. Certainly. They were and they are. Yeah. S- spiritual beings. Yes. And I think that's why their religious practices continue to persist. Because if it was just like, okay, well, we're going to wipe out the Canaanites, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah happen, rain, fire, and brimstone down upon them. Mm-hmm. They're done. Their culture would die out. That practice would never arise again. But mm-hmm. it did. And not only was it practiced by the Canaanites, it was practiced around the world. Yes. You guys remember back to our dragons episode? It was practiced in the Far East. Yep. It was practiced in Middle America. And all these disconnected cultures, but all back to the root, back in Canaan. How does that happen? Right. Exactly. It's uh, a spiritual warfare is what it is. And it's pervasive everywhere. And unfortunately, well, sometimes I just see us losing that battle. We here. don't though. We win in the but end. We guys. do win in the end. So don't get too discouraged. Don't think about it too hard. <laughs> it's important no, to recognize the history for what it is. It's important to recognize where these things come from because the better you know your enemy, the better you are able to fight it. Yep. I agree. Absolutely. Um, what I won't... Okay. I'm going to wrap this up. Okay. Because we're going to come back and talk about this more next week. Kind of. Kind of a part two. But it... Several mm, theories as to why God had wiped everyone out. Was 
one, uh, the wickedness, like just absolutely wicked. And so much so, again, that he puts that burden on his people, but not alone. I want to make that very clear too. Like, I'm going to go, I'm with you. Yeah. He promises Joshua, like, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. You will not do this by yourself. I'm here. We got it. Whatever. And so there's that. But also, could the Canaanites have ties to the Nephilim? Mm. Giants? So the Nephilim piece, I think, makes the most sense because if – if you guys remember, we've talked about the Anunnaki in the past, and we've talked about dragons and perhaps their connection to the Anunnaki. And the idea is is that these are these spiritual, be- basically fallen angels, right? Yes. That have come to our world in some sort of humanoid form and started making reproducing, <laughs> yeah, making babies with everybody. And so then the half human, half fallen angel being would be the Nephilim. And another way to describe such a being might be very large, very strong, very powerful, very similar to some guy named Goliath. Who also had a connection to the Canaanites, of course. Of course. Of course. So, did Joshua and the spies see giants in the land of Canaan? I definitely believe so. And again, that would make sense as to why God asked them to wipe them all out, because that is a abomination. Yes. Yes. Like Not only we, were they wicked, but... An yes. actual abomination. Yes. There's this... I can't remember the verse, and we see this all over um, the internet, too. Better to have a millstone tied around your neck than for you to leave one of the lead one of these children astray. That is just the consequence for leading someone astray from God. How much worse should the consequence be then for you to be led so far astray that you start doing bad things with the demons? Yes, exactly. Pretty bad. I'd say it's pretty bad. I'd say it's pretty true. Right. Pretty drastic. There's a flood. He'll rain fire on you. Or just send the Israelites. <laughs> get rid of y'all. Yeah. To get rid of y'all. So we're going to touch on this more next week with our talk about giants. It won't all be about Canaan and, and Joshua, right. but we'll definitely touch back on this and more, which I'm super excited because we're kind of doing that one together again, right? We are. Yeah, I'm super yeah. excited. We're going to talk giant myths, archaeology. Maybe we found actual physical evidence mm. of giant bones. Have we? Have we? Maybe. Maybe. Find out. <laughs> yeah. So definitely be sure to tune in next week for that. Yes. Um, other things. Come. Oh, before we do any other announcements, yes. I want to be sure that I read our five-star review on Please. Apple Podcasts. So this comes from Sleepy Serotonin. Sleepy Serotonin, thank you so much for yeah. leaving this really kind review. This like really made my day. Um, they say, so much of the world today is just filled with lies. We don't know which way is up or down. And that's especially true in archaeology and science. Elise and Jess are awesome because they tackle these really high concepts like the fossil record and quantum theory, but not in the way like your college professor would. They have fun, tell jokes, and tell the honest-to-goodness truth. 
They're not afraid to say when they have questions or when they don't know. If you love science, if you love archaeology and ancient discoveries, this is the podcast for you. I low-key hope they do an episode on giants soon. Well, sleepy serotonin, this next episode is for you. We are doing giants. Guess what? We heard you. We're doing it. It's going to be good. (laughs) So if there is a topic you want us to cover, if there's something you're interested in learning about that relates to God's creation in any way, shape, or form, let us know in the comments or the reviews, and we'll put it in our list of things to do. Yay! So thank you all for being here. If you are on Rumble, we're going to you know stick around, brief intermission, and we'll jump into the chat. Before we leave real quick, we actually do have two more announcements. We're going to start, because Hawkhound is a group, and we like doing things together. So Abby and PJ have been doing the Revelation stream, Daniel stream. (laughs) We are going to add on some of our own religious takes and start doing Genesis streams on off Monday. So this Monday will be our first. We'll be reading Genesis together. So if you need a Bible study, if you don't have a Bible study at your church that you're plugged into, if you don't have a small group that you're plugged into, plug into Hawkhound small group because we'll be reading out of different books of the Bible. And this upcoming Monday, August 14th, we will be reading out of Genesis. I'm super excited about that. Me too. Before you start yawning, I promise it's going to be very entertaining as well as enlightening. <laughs> Guys, Genesis is so cool. It is the found it is the beginning. Uh, yeah. Like literally in the beginning. God. So it, it's going to be awesome. It's and going to be good. not to overwhelm with you, you with too many awesome new content things. But, but we are going to be doing a watch party of yes. Ancient Apocalypse on August 26th. So be ready that Saturday. Get your popcorn. We're going to have a good time and we might do a special giveaway for our watch party. So definitely make sure you hit that like button. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Boy, if I could talk and we're going to do all the fun things, do all the fun things. We'll keep you informed and we're super excited to have you here. So awesome. Thank you all for tonight. We appreciate it. And we'll see you after intermission. intermission.